Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, week four was everything I think we hoped it would be, just awesome games, and it was mm-hmm. one of those rare weekends where it felt like the, the slate really lived up to the billing and not just in the SEC. Yeah, 100%. Well, outside of Colorado. Um, but yeah, I mean, FSU Clemson was really competitive. I feel like I spent a lot more time this week watching other conferences. The Notre Dame-Ohio State game was like the most Big Ten game of all time. Uh, shout out to Ryan Day for just being furious at Lou Holtz at the end. But uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. If you're getting that mad at Lou Holtz, I, I think that's that's probably the line that that we should we should all look at for the future and say, if if that's your big thing coming off of a monumental win, is you're going to be upset at an 86 year old man? I, to me, like I don't know. I think we've gone too far with the disrespect thing. I've already ranted about that before, but it's like, what do, what do you expect him to, to to say in that spot? And, yeah, just a weird move by Ryan Day. Just go go enjoy the win. Go enjoy the win. I Do what you need to do internally. But yeah, strange, strange move. Big win for the Buckeyes. We have five games that we're going to break down. Obviously, you know where we're starting. Ole Miss, Bama. Will Lane Kiffin is who he is. Yep. He is the guy that I think we've been uh, making him out to be for the last year plus. He is a fun, really good coach who is never going to beat Nick Saban. That's yeah, like at this point, how can even if you're an Ole Miss man, and you're deep down in your soul, in those places where you don't want to talk about, where you want to believe that Lane Kiffin is going to take you to the promised land, you watched that game on Saturday and you had that exact thought. You just did. If not now, mm-hmm. then when? It was the question that everybody and their mother was asking about Lane Kiffin. How about never? Just how about never? <laughs> I like I, I'm 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 sitting here wondering. Man, all the things that you could ask for going into a game, Lane had. He had yeah. every reason to win this game, and I, I just I thought he blew it. I thought he blew it. I did. Remember the, in the preview pod, we we outlined how everything that Ole Miss was through three games, and everything that Bama was through three games suggested what you predicted. Ole Miss mm-hmm. should win this football game, but. Jackson Dart playing as good as he has in his entire career. That did matter. Pete Golding looking really good through the first three weeks for the most part. That didn't matter. Alabama's quarterback situation being a mess. That didn't really matter. None none of it mattered. By day's end, all of those things that we talked about going in, they were a distant memory. And I don't care who's calling plays for the Alabama defense. Whoever it was... (laughs) Uh, they basically just said, Lane, I know exactly what your offense is about to do. I know the exact adjustments I need to be able to make. Good luck scoring a touchdown after the first quarter. Yeah. Really disappointing. One of the more disappointing coach performances I think we've seen in the young season, which might seem unfair, but but am I wrong here? That that was an absolute dud from Lane. No, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're so far into this Lane Kiffin experience. I think that we all have this image in our minds of he's like this young upstart guy. It's like, no, like we are getting to a point where at some point all this crap that he talks every single week has to matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like he's bold in the wrong moments and he's scared to be bold when he needs to. Like, you can't play Alabama as conservatively as he did. He was like throwing screens right into man coverage. He was doing things that was just like, wait, these guys aren't just going to miss tackles, dog. You have to go out there and beat them. And I think that Alabama just kept serving up to him on a platter and he was just like, no, it's all good, man. I got to get these jokes off. I And look... I get it. He's going to be who he's going to be. 
at this point, though, that strategy is not working. You did not have to come out early in the week and say they have a different defensive play caller than what everybody thinks. It is not Kevin mm-hmm. Seal that is calling these defensive plays. And by the way, Claire has opinions on that. Apologies if you hear her in the background doing her thing. Um, but you're you're wondering, okay, so is is Lane trying to get into to to Saban's head once again? And then you see this game plan, this game plan wherein I thought Quinshawn Judkins looked pretty good. And once again, in this game, that was mostly a one possession game for the majority of it. Alabama didn't Mm -hmm. go up two touchdowns, I think, until 12 minutes left in the game. The guy did not get the work that I thought he was going to. And instead of relying on him, it becomes the Jackson Dart show. And we're... I kind of reminded why this guy up to this point of his career has been up and down. I, I declared my my that I was falling in love with Jackson Dart last week. <laughs> and this week, I'm kind of reminded. It's like when you hear those songs that people talk about, uh, about like, you know, we were once together. And why did we break up? Let's try this again. Yeah. And that's how I felt watching Jackson Dart, because I was like, oh, this is the guy who still thinks that he can run through people. He had his helmet taken off two different <laughs> times. And. You're wondering, like, dude, what what in the world is going through your head to not take some of these slides? And he wasn't effective as a runner. He only had, what, six? No runners? thoughts, just vibes, just running forward. Dude, like, ah. the fact that Dart and Judkins were held to 62 rushing yards on 25 attempts, and that's sack adjusted, whatever. They finished, Ole Miss finished with a total of 88 rushing yards, which for the number four offense in college football, just not acceptable. But the most frustrating mm-hmm. thing, all that, all that, you can look at this, this and say, yes, it was an offensive letdown, whatever. The lack of urgency in those final minutes, Will, I don't yeah. have a dog in the fight. And I'm sitting here yelling at Lane, one of the, the pioneers of the hurry up offense as we know it in 2023. Lane, m- go faster. Why is this take? Why are you getting down to seven and eight on the play clock? Do you realize that you're down two touchdowns in this football game? It was like, Bobo, South Carolina at Florida in 2020. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like You're like the meme of Walter White just screaming at his car window. Like, Lane, you need two scores, Lane. I just didn't get it. I, I didn't get it. And if there was an explanation there that I missed, all right, I, okay. But man, I just so disappointing. And you could look at the Bama game plan and say, all right, maybe they're selling out to stop the run. We've talked about that a lot with Quinshawn Judkins. It's been kind of a theme, I think, so far of the early part of the season. When you lead the SEC in rushing, when you have more rushing yards than any SEC true freshman since a guy named Herschel Walker, yeah, people are going to game plan to stop you. Then where are the open spaces for these receivers to be running through downfield? Because those were pretty non-existent, I thought, for the most part. Like, yep. I don't know. Dart had one passing play of 30 yards in this game. And that's a guy who was number two in the country with passing plays of 20 yards. I, I thought he was pretty much contained. And like, I don't know. He had that arm punt where it looked like he just got bored and threw it in double coverage. What was that? Dude, that pick was gross. I was about to bring that up. Like there are picks that you see and you're just like, oh, I see what he was trying to do there. He's trying to give his guy a chance. That was like away from the direction of the route into the coverage. It was like, bro, do you just... You've you, been in my bookie. What's going on, bro? Yeah, I look, and I know they they had some, you know, they've had some issues that they've been working through at the pass catcher positions with guys getting healthy coming back. It's been kind of a revolving door on that on that side of the ball, but still, just just a really really disappointing performance from the Ole Miss side. And I I just again like I I just did not understand that game plan. And if it was okay, they're bottling up Judkins at the line of scrimmage. That guy then needs to become a focal point of the passing game to be able to get them going three targets, one catch for 10 yards. That's just 
not enough. I hated it from Lane. I I, I mm-hmm. hated it from Lane. You cannot call out the source of Alabama's defensive play calling and then have a a ten point dud like that. I just I look. I I think we do we need. Do we need to repeat the lane stat for those who, who don't remember it? Have we said it enough on this podcast or should I say it one more time? Let's do it. I was texting with my guy, Brad Crawford, about this yesterday because he was like, yeah, and I remember there was something you had said about that in the offseason. I need to dial that one back. Uh, yeah. Okay. So lane in games against power five teams that have gone on to win at least nine regular season games. In his career as a head coach, not just an Ole Miss stat, in his career as a head coach, he is one in nineteen in those games. Whew. I, I'm going to say he's going to be one in twenty after the Bama one because I'm going to assume Bama's at least going to go nine and three. Like, yeah, I, I'm probably going to go nine and three. But man, you're just reminded of it. He turtles in these moments. He absolutely turtles. So it sounds like I'm taking away from Bama. And I'm not trying to do that. I think even Bama fans would tell you that was far from a perfect game. Maybe it woke Bama up a little bit. I think in some ways it's fair to say that Ole Miss might have woken Bama up. I thought the second half showing the way that Bama played, ran the ball really, really well. They stopped the run. So much more encouraging than what we've seen the last couple weeks. Jace McClellan was excellent after a rough week at USF, wherein his snap count was, what, half of Roy Dell Williams' snap count O-line wasn't mm-hmm. perfect, but it was good enough for Bama. Kind of same with Milrow. Same with Milrow. What were your thoughts of his performance? Because the ads, the, the the interception they threw in the end zone was was terrible. It was so bad. Yeah. But I thought he did enough things like that throw that he had, taking a hit when he's he's hitting Jalen Hale on that on that spot where he does his best Rod Tidwell imitation. <laughs> he just leaves up right afterwards. I thought it was mm-hmm. take the good with the bad. That was kind of the full Jalen Milrow experience, or at least what I know it to be at this point of his career. 100%. Yeah, I think that's another like Jalen Milrow is who he is type of guy. I mean, the touchdown was super loud. The pick was super loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, that touchdown throw was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. That was a moment where everybody in the bars go, <gasps> you know, like that incredible play on that touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, I just think he, he is who he is. I think he's a guy who takes chances. I think he's a guy who can be turnover prone. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, when you – Having a line that struggled the way that Bama's has, he's a guy who can at least keep the offense on the field when he's not turning it over. Um, and I think that, yeah, the offensive line didn't look good, but they had a quarterback that at least could keep plays alive, which they haven't had so far. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that he's definitely the right guy for the job. I don't think it changed my opinion of him at all, but I think that this shows how Alabama can win games with him. Yes, this is the blueprint right here. Mm-hmm. He does this thing, though. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but it bothers me. Uh, a few guys I've watched over – the course of the last, I, I think, few years have, have done this habit, and they've been able to work through it. And I think Milrow might be able to work through it. it it's probably going to take something in the film room session for a coach to say, hey, stop doing this right here, right now. He does the thing where when he's rolling out of the pocket and he doesn't have a receiver downfield, he doesn't have the presence of mind to throw the football away, and instead he runs out of yep. bounds and takes a three- mm-hmm. or four-yard loss. And you're like, dude, those are those are valuable yards. You, you need that. Just throw the ball away. Throw it into the third Just row. Throw it away. Yeah. You're way out of the pocket. You're not getting an intentional grounding here. Uh, like those, those plays to me show kind of that, that speaks a little bit to him not understanding the urgency of the, the every yard matters type mentality that you need to just have at this level and why that makes such a big difference. But he did that a handful of times in this game where I'm like, 
you've, you've got to stop running out of bounds to take a four yard loss when <laughs> it's just not a given that you're going to get those four yards back. And this game comes down to, to inches. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, that's a really great point too, though, because I think it shows that like as mad as Saban might be at that type of discipline related stuff, Milrow is not changing it. Like at the end of the day, the way he carries the football is a little herky jerky sometimes. Like he'll like kind of start bringing it above his head, and it's like whoa, like keep that down, like lock it in, and same thing. It's like you know Saban screaming at him at the sideline, but we've seen what happens when Buckner plays. So it's like, hey, he might just be able to keep doing that stuff. Yeah, look, it's it's better than than the alternative. That that much mm-hmm. that much I think we can all agree on after four games of this Alabama season. Of course, it's not an Alabama football game anymore unless they have a touchdown wiped off the board because of a penalty. That was, I mean, drink. Check that off on the video card. Yep, that's that's a given. That's going to happen every single time. Saban bragging about his patience because of the fact that he's had <laughs> to see five of those plays this year. I I tweeted out this is the thing that Alabama does best. That is that is still undisputed somebody's tracking that somewhere touchdowns wiped off the board because of penalties. My CFB mm-hmm. stats uh, doesn't have that one just yet. I think they need to be able to, to update things to be able to track that because Bama's number one, they're, they're, they're number one, but how about mm-hmm. the fact that, and Saban also bragged about this about how, you know, it takes a lot of patience to, to get, get the football on the one yard line and then not, not be able to punch it in for a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sequence for Bama fans was probably so maddening where Ja'Cory Brooks, mm-hmm. who doesn't have a catch this year. I didn't realize that coming into this one. Ja'Cory, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. How does that guy not have a catch coming into this year, especially after all the things we were saying after what he did against Auburn down the stretch to, to be able to lead that comeback in the Iron Bowl 2021. But anyway, that's a different subject for a different time. He has this blocked punt that Bama gets the best possible bounce instead of a safety where it goes into the back of the end zone. It goes out at the one that is, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, outside of a scoop and score, obviously that's, that's about as good as you can hope for. And then what was it? Three negative plays right after that. And they have to yeah. settle for a field goal, like a bad snap, a mill row, like kind of run out of bounds. And that I just bizarre to see Bama sputter the way that it did. But the good news you responded the way that you wanted to in the second half if you're an Alabama fan. That's the yep. type of stuff that you're going to have to do this year. You're going to win ugly. Don't worry about hitting 35 points. Don't worry about style points. I mean, I guess Bama covered the spread, so those, that's style points in itself. But, you know, the good news for Bama is you controlled the line of scrimmage in a way that you probably haven't all year. 10 TFLs and did a lot of that without Deontay Loss, and their linebacker went down with an ankle injury. He's been really good to start the year. And, you know, that's you're going to take the good with the bad with this team. That's mm-hmm. that's just reality at this point. And the good, the only good that was obtainable on Saturday was avoiding loss number two and making sure that yet another assistant didn't have the last laugh against Nick Saban. And that, I think, was accomplished pretty comfortably, pretty comfortably. That was never in the second half of that game. I, I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I never really felt like Ole Miss was going to come back and win that game. I felt like mm-hmm. once Bama took control, they weren't going to let it up. Yeah, and I know that we've we've ragged on Lane a lot, but it's just upsetting how predictable that was because I feel exactly the same way as you. Like, I was watching the game, and I was just like, at what point do I just kind of get out of here? Because I was about to head back and watch the LSU game because it's like, yeah, Lane did not have a shot to come back. And, and like I said, he just has, like, all this bravado off, off the field. But then when it's time to make his guys believe, he's just kind of over it. So, yeah, I think that Alabama can hang their hats on, like you said, the defense improved. They still have a factor that Clemson, we learned, does not. That it's scary to come and play in, in Bryant-Denny Stadium, you know, despite what happened with, with Texas. Uh, we saw an Ole Miss team just kind of crumple when the bright lights turned on, and Alabama still can do that to teams even at this present state. 
I was going to ask this question if Ole Miss had won this game, but it doesn't really apply anymore. But Ole Miss, in theory, could have gone into that game next weekend hosting LSU in Oxford mm-hmm. and taken a stranglehold on the SEC West with potentially yep. wins against Bama and LSU. And to think that that was on the table for this team, and obviously it no longer is, I'm more of the belief now, after seeing that play out, that the West winner will enter the SEC championship with two losses. Two losses overall, not necessarily two losses in conference, but at least two Mm -hmm. losses overall. And we will be asking the question about a West winner and their two-loss resume as it relates to the college football playoff. I'd be surprised. I really would at this point. If anyone, because all of them have one loss now, okay? Everybody in the West and the last remaining unbeatens in the SEC, they're all from the SEC East, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mizzou, just as everyone predicted, of course. As everybody thought, yeah, Mizzou powerhouse. Yes, uh, definitely. Should be in the top 25, in my opinion. I said it last week, I'll say it again. But Mm -hmm. I I think that's the way that that it'll play out. And look, henceforth, I'm not predicting Kiffin to beat Saban. I just... I, I just yeah. can't. The quote that AL.com had before uh, I, Lane said this on SEC Network, it, it made the rounds where he said, maybe this is our last time facing Bama with Saban, which <laughs> is a weird thing to say ahead of this matchup. It's a weird Basically, you're saying you don't know how many more opportunities you're going to get. They're not going to face yeah. off next year with the new expanded SEC. We're kind of TBD on what the schedule is going to look like beyond 2024. Of course, everybody takes it as, oh, Kiffin is predicting that Saban's going to retire and you got to take right. advantage of these. But I, I, I'm i just not going to hold my breath on Lane beating Saban. I, I think he's had three juicy opportunities these last three years. And for different reasons, he has found a way to absolutely blow it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it's so funny, too. Like, we have this foil in Hugh Freeze, who's able to beat Saban twice in a row um, at Ole Miss. And so it's like, yeah, it's kind of right in front of you. Like, yeah, you might need to cheat a little bit to get the recruits. But hey, now the NIL is legal. You don't got to cheat at all. You just just start paying people. So, yeah, I think that's another part of it that we've kind of talked about. But, you know, the recruiting has never really been there for Lane. I think that he's done fine in the portal. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can't match up with Alabama with the guys that you bring on the field. Like if you need to have equal talent to compete with them, which a lot of these games have not even really been competitive, if we're being honest. Like this one sure wasn't in the second half. Um, because, you know, fi- final score and score at the time doesn't really inflect like how the game was going. Like we said, it was kind of over. So, yeah, I think just – I think Ole Miss is perfect for Lane Kiffin. I think they're perfect for each other. I think that if you win eight, nine, maybe ten games in a good year and fans are happy, that's what you're going to get with Lane Kiffin. I think he's shown over and over again that he can't handle a level of responsibility above that. So, yeah, I think he just needs to stay there forever and keep losing to Bama. I'll, I'll push back on <laughs> I'll push back on that it hasn't been been competitive. Marler had the stat. It was, I think it was like all but eight and a half minutes in the four mm-hmm. matchups that they had played up to this point. Old, Kiffin's teams, you're including Tennessee 2009 Mount Cody game. Oh, sure. You're, that was a competitive game, yeah. I think for like all but eight and a half minutes, they were at least within one score of Saban. So that's that's kind right. of the crazy thing is, you know, 2021 was obviously a different story. That game was over at the end of the first quarter. And that was right. Ole Miss's probably maybe Lane's best team of that group, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the interesting thing is that the two times that Lane has probably had his best teams, he has looked the furthest from being able to beat Alabama um, in this game, you know kind of pick and choose. Obviously, I thought it was a relatively close game going into the fourth quarter, but you're right. There was a certain thing about the score that even though 
Ole Miss was down in that game. It just felt like there were opportunities that they missed in the first half that they could have capitalized on the missed field goal at the end of the first half, I thought was pretty pivotal too, um, but just mm-hmm. left it out there. And uh, this is this is one that Lane's going to be kicking himself about, I think, for a while. Okay, let's talk Arkansas LSU, Will. This game sure. was a this game was a blast, man. This game was oh, fun. Yeah. This game was great. Um, I realized something, and I'm going to talk about the LSU part in a second. I promise. My favorite KJ games are when he is trailing and that cape is on and he's ready to yep. go. I don't think the cape was really on against BYU, but KJ mm-hmm. had it locked in, and part of it was probably the LSU secondary for getting to cover receivers, but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I think tight ends and running backs and whoever. Hey, you want to get open downfield? LSU is going to make that happen for for you. I said to one point uh, to Lauren when I was talking at her about games, as I often do while I'm watching them, I said, this right here is why I love KJ. This is it right here. Like Mm -hmm. even on a night in which I totally counted him out coming into this one, I said LSU was going to win this 135 to 10. I thought the Arkansas offensive line was a massive liability. It was still a liability in this game. They were trash. They were not particularly good. And KJ was fighting against his own team in that regard. But man, like I, I think the fact that they come out as good as they did, and went into that half with a lead in Death Valley mm-hmm. against an LSU team that was feeling excellent after what they did against Mississippi State. To me, though, that's why I I will always go to bat for KJ. Is you see the plays that he makes, he knows he's going to be up against pressure. He knows that he's going to have to keep his eyes downfield. The running game with Dominion, it's getting better. It's they're doing some things well, but they miss they miss Rocket. They don't really have much of an identity in the ground game. But like his willingness to take off with his legs, the fact that at this point of his career, he does the thing that I praise Jordan Travis and Bo Nix for, where he can stay behind the line of scrimmage and he can mm-hmm. fool you with whether or not he's going downfield or whether or not he's going to run with his legs. That definitely impacted part of LSU on the back end, that play that he had to Luke Haas, where he hits him on the right sideline. That was a perfect example of an LSU DB eyes sucked in the backfield on KJ's mobility. And then he just goes over the top and makes a play. They had another touchdown mm-hmm. that was wiped off the board because of a a stupid holding penalty on, on Bo Limmer who played better early on. But man, I just, I just, I love KJ. I love KJ and I don't care who knows. Mm -hmm. Remember how we said in the preseason, I think you said this in the preseason, how when we looked at this game in week four, we said, this is the two, these are the two best quarterbacks in the sec. This should Mm -hmm. be fun. And then coming into this one, we're kind of like, maybe it's not really going to live up to that. And it did. It, It did. Yeah. It looks like the two best quarterbacks in the SEC, once they got going in the second half, my kind of football game. Wish it kind of would have ended a little bit differently. I wanted one more last-minute drive to see if KJ could put something together or something to force overtime. <laughs> I'm good I'm on sure, that one, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were in a little bit of a different standpoint. But like watching that as an LSU fan and knowing that mm-hmm. you were against KJ, did it feel like you just couldn't put him away and he was the guy that Arkansas needed in that moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, 100%. He is a guy that I respected for a really long time. And, you know, I, I share your opinions on KJ and I'm with you. I was hoping for, you know, to see a great quarterback matchup. And I wish that we could have had a solo camera on KJ because did you see like when they would cut to him in slow motion? That's and he, there was one who's like, come on, bro. Like in slow motion, there's one where like, he's like walking off the field. He's like, what the bleep? Like, like look at him in the eyes. Like it was so funny because you could see like his whole team was kind of like, I'm not going to say against him, but there were so many moments where he was like, how? 
just don't fall start, bro. Just don't fall start. I'll get us a first down. And KJ's, then, I mean, KJ's eyes were great. You're exactly right. <laughs> when they would show him on the sideline too, or the the defense would let up a big play or something like that, mm-hmm. and they would show his eyes just like roll back to the back of his head. His facials in that game were so funny. <laughs> and it's like it, you could tell he was just super bad. Like it was like it reminded me of like um, you know some great quarterbacks that I've seen where it's like oh the defense is on the field. He's just sitting there. He's like come on man, I have like thirty points on this LSU team. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm right there with you. It felt like um. You know, the thing that was crazy about him, I'm okay, I'm going to break our rule and make a Cam Newton comparison, but it's oh, going to be an NFL one. Listen, William. it's going to be an NFL one. Here's why. I remember these Saints teams that had this great pass rush, and they would get upfield on Cam, and I'd be like, we got him, we got him. He would take two steps forward. They would kind of crash into each other. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, he has a 50-yard, like, just landing strip in front of him. And that felt like it happened over and over and over again. I mean, this offensive line is even worse than I thought they were for KJ. And the fact that LSU got pushed on every single freaking play and KJ was still able to just get guys off of him, run sideways, keep the play alive. Like he didn't throw off platform. He threw in time and there was always someone open because the defense was so terrified of him throwing guys down. He's so good at that. He has gotten a Mm -hmm. lot better because I don't even think last year's KJ would have handled what LSU threw at him and what he was mm-hmm. working against. That was the type of game where I think we really saw the maturation. I realize we're talking about it in a losing effort, and LSU still found a way to win that football game, even though it was a lot closer than probably the vast majority of people, ourselves included, were expecting in that mm-hmm. one. But it, it was just one of those days in which you're reminded, like, you just want him on your side. You, you want KJ on your side. He is always mm-hmm. going to give you his absolute best. But Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels, man, two consecutive games in which he played the type of football we were hoping to see him play this season. He trusts Mm -hmm. those receivers. He puts it in a spot where only they can get it. The Malik neighbors, Brian Thomas combination is looking as advertised, if not better. Brian Thomas, Mm -hmm. Brian Thomas is like already past his previous season production. In almost every category, I think he's two catches short or something, but I'm pretty sure receiving yards and receiving touchdowns, he's already passed that with another Mm -hmm. big game. All bang the drum team member. This is why we talked about this so much in the preseason of who's going to benefit the most from Jaden trusting this offense, having confidence in this offense, being willing to take that shot downfield in single coverage. It's Brian Thomas, and we're seeing that play out, and it's making LSU so much more explosive. And th- this team with Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas has become so pick your poison. Those guys combined 13 catches, 266 yards, and four touchdowns Jeez. in this game. They yep. were nasty, absolutely nasty. That ball that Jaden threw in the corner of the end zone, back corner of the end zone mm-hmm. to Malik Neighbors, I couldn't believe Neighbors tracked that down. I said as soon as it left Jaden's hand, oh, he overthrew him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nope. Nope, he actually put it in the exact perfect spot because he knows his receiver that well. A little bit of, little bit, and a little bit of 2022 vibes with the comeback, slow start, flip the mm-hmm. switch. But I still think they are so much more dynamic in the passing game in these comebacks. And that's, and I shouldn't say comebacks, this is specific to this game. This is the first time that they've done yeah. something like that this season. But I still was really impressed with what they brought to the table because that's going to play. That's going to play everywhere. Every team that they show up against, and Logan Diggs is stepping up in the ground game, and they're looking a little bit he's better. He's so though. nasty, man. He's a good oh. player, man. They missed him in that opener looking back on that. I don't know that he makes mm-hmm. the difference in a game that was as lopsided as it was, but he has really kind of established himself as as that dude. Josh Williams had a nice big running lane to, to, 
to, to run through as well on one of those plays. But yeah, this LSU offense is is figuring things out. Maybe it was good that they didn't come into this game necessarily clicking on all cylinders, and they kind of had to dig deep in this one. Whatever they're doing in those 5.30 a.m. film sessions that Holly Rowe was talking about, <laughs> it's working. It's working because they look scary good when they get rolling like that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, as a hater, Connor, I have to mention that, you know, the way that Jaden started off this game, you know, is pretty unacceptable if you're going to be the best quarterback in the SEC. I think that early on, LSU definitely let Arkansas have a chance to get in. But I think exactly to your point, what makes me so happy about this is that something has shifted in the team dynamic. I don't know if it's the lack of, like, booties there and, and there's there was like an awkwardness there but you can tell that this team is a little bit better at like workshopping stuff like that so those first two deep bombs that Jaden tried were like so underthrown and I was like oh my gosh like he just doesn't have it today but he kept going back to it and that's the thing if if Jaden gets scared and he starts to like play within a box like he did in the second half against FSU that's a stoppable player but whenever he's able to trust himself get downfield and we saw that over and over again I mean it's like we've gotten to a point where throwing the ball to Malik neighbors is basically equivalent to a run play because he's just going to like you know, Velcro, Velcro hands get that in. And I think that now that we don't have that weird inconsistency with like the receiver thing, I think that matters because you have two guys in Brian Thomas and Luke Neighbors that Jaden knows he can trust with his whole heart and soul and throw a ball up and they're better than anyone at going out and getting it. So yeah, I think that we're starting to see that confidence that we've been hoping for finally from Jaden Daniels. I like that you can move Malik Neighbors all over the place and you can do so many mm -hmm. different things with that guy and it allows Brian Thomas to kind of be at his best and you know that he's going to get pretty advantageous matchups moving forward as long as Malik is out there and he is healthy because he is just, he is a difference maker. He's kind of become everything that people who are ignoring the pre-2022 uh, pre Kayshawn Booty uh, concerns Mm -hmm. he's kind of become the guy, that guy in so many yeah. different ways where you just, you put him anywhere. He's going to be able to make plays for you. Uh, and that guy is just such, such a difference maker in that offense. Can we talk about the bad though? Can we talk, can we talk about this. Is it the defense, the whole, the whole one? It's not the whole defense. <laughs> it's not the whole defense. It's the secondary. The, the D-line is so nasty, but they're just playing within themselves. I don't think they're receiving instructions from anyone to be that good. Yeah, in, in, seeing, seeing Womack, the, the five-star freshman, step up, and he's mm -hmm. making a play with his helmet off to bring down oh, KJ. Man. When you're bringing down KJ for your first career sack, all right, I'm, we'll, we'll recognize that. That's that's not an mm -hmm. easy thing to be able to do. LSU secondary is an issue. It's, it's going to be an issue moving forward. It, it's not yeah. a matter of... Will they get better? I, I think you're just trying to make it work with what they have at, at this point. Way too many guys running in big open spaces. It wasn't mm -hmm. quite 2020 Bo Pelini levels of that, but there were some moments. <laughs> it was close. You, yeah. Uh, you're like, oh boy, this this is not gonna this is not gonna play well against teams that can actually, you know, move the pocket a little bit and then stretch downfield. I was looking at the remaining quarterbacks on the schedule for LSU. And tell me, tell me which of these guys scares you the most, knowing the deficiencies that they have on the back end. So you've mm -hmm. got Jackson Dart obviously coming up next weekend, that game in Oxford. Then you have Brady Cook, the resurgent Brady Cook, might I add, okay. who was throwing some darts, throwing some darts in that game against Memphis. Mm -hmm. Peyton Thorne, who we're going to get to in a minute here. Jalen Milrow, Graham yep. Mertz, Connor Wigman. Of those guys, who makes you think that he can have a performance like what KJ did or even what Jordan Travis did in the second half of that game against FSU? Um, I don't think there's a Jordan Travis or KJ Jefferson style quarterback on the roster um, or like the, on the schedule coming up. 
Um, I think there are some different kind of guys. Like, for instance, like Graham Mertz, I feel like could be an issue because if the defense doesn't communicate, someone's always going to be open. He's always going to find that guy five yards down the field. So I could see something like that being an issue, but not the mobility. You know what I'm saying? So maybe lacking that escapability would cause Graham Mertz to get off schedule. So, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, maybe Jackson Dart, if we get good Jackson Dart. But the thing is, like, I don't know, and not to, like, go back to that game, but that game almost showed me that Ole Miss is – not as good as we thought, minus, other than Bama being better than we thought. So, yeah, if we if, if we get yesterday's Jackson Dart, not so worried about that either. Yeah, if there was a 2022 Hendon Hooker on that schedule, right. a guy who doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have this all-world arm talent, but you know if you make a mistake, he is going to make you pay every single mm-hmm. time, then I'd be terrified. But even as a Connor Wigman supporter through and through, I still look at that remaining schedule and I go, you know what? They might be able to overcome that. Even if they're going to have, they're going to have their bad moments Mm -hmm. the rest of the way. There's no doubt about it. The chunk plays that they're going to let up are going to be frustrating, but I'm still looking at that going, Hmm, you know what? There's not that one guy that I think is going to be able to pick him apart for 60 minutes. Now watch Jackson Dart's going to have the game of his life. He's going to throw for 450 next weekend and it's going to be Lane's Lane's signature victory. So far Mm -hmm. that'll probably Connor. There's one clear answer here, man. Someone who can move the bucket, the pocket and throw rockets downfield. That's Max Johnson, brother. Right. right. That's who we're scared. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, let's get to that. Um, A&M avoided disaster against Auburn. You can take that in a couple different ways. Okay. We talked about what a loss for A&M would have done for the conversation in College Station as a whole, specifically what it would have done for Jimbo Fisher, Mm $76.8 million, Iowa notebook. You know what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Avoiding that number two, that that second loss in September, it is just incredibly important for any team that's got a bunch of these former five-star recruits. I think there's something to be said for it in this day and age of the transfer portal and NIL and tampering and all those things that go on with those guys. And if you're second on the depth chart or if you're not having the season that you thought you were going to, you just always worry about that. You do. So you got to avoid free agency in their position. You have to, you absolutely have to go ask Clemson about that, by the way, they're Mm -hmm. about to see what exactly that loss number two in September is like, but, (sighs) but avoiding that disaster within this game was just simply don't collapse when Connor Wigman goes out. And to be clear, Connor Wigman was not effective enough before he left this game. It was his worst start of the year. There's no question about that. Also, to be clear, Max Johnson came in and balled. He balled. Oh, God. We have so many of these weird moments with Max Johnson over the course of his career, which is now in year four, which is kind of crazy to think about, where Mm -hmm. we think to ourselves, this guy is sunshine from Remember the Titans. That is exactly what we're watching on this football field. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Bass is just going to come into the football game and he's going to save the day and everything is going to be okay. And you just mm-hmm. have these, these moments with him where you're like, this dude, how is he not getting more opportunities? It's very natural to say that because they go in, he goes into this game, two touchdown drives immediately after all they had had to that point was a couple of field goals. Such a cool moment for the Johnson mm-hmm. family to see mm-hmm. Jake catch his first college touchdown and it's from his older brother, man. Like that's that you can never take that away from the Johnson family. I don't care if, if those guys never have another touchdown in their entire college career, they will talk about that forever. Absolutely love that. So, so cool. Very, very happy for them. The most impressive play of the game though, that throw and catch that Max Johnson and Evan Stewart had mm-hmm. unreal. 
unreal. We had some some highlight real catches between that and the Ricky Pearsall grab. Uh, I thought the oh my gosh, catch, the Ricky Pearsall Beckham Odell Beckham catch was insane, absolutely insane. And we're not going to talk about Florida, mm-hmm. but we had a great weekend of catches in the SEC. That, that guy's been all bang the drum team forever. Yeah, if you don't know Ricky Pearsall, he's he's been sneaky good for like three years. He has been. I know Chris Doring's been. That's been on his all bang the drum team. I was not as high on him coming into the year, but seeing what that guy has become, definitely a difference maker. We'll talk about him uh, with that matchup as it relates to Kentucky because that's going to be really interesting with Maxwell Harrison trying to to shadow him. I would assume we'll get to that eventually. That throw and catch though to me was just like. Man, think about the chemistry, how hard it is. You're Evan Stewart. You're a second-year player. You're going to get popped on that play. Mm -hmm. If you have any laps in your – like, or here's a better way to say this. You're you're going 40 yards downfield. Your head's probably going up and down, and you're catching that between two defenders. And if that ball is anything but perfect, and if you have any ounce – of a lack of focus. You're dropping that football every single time. And it Mm -hmm. was incredible to watch that throw and catch something that we have not seen a lot pre Robert Patrick Petrino at Mm A&M. That has been kind of few and far between, but the question that some might be asking, you might be asking. So is Max Johnson, the guy now? I mean, Oh, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. He's not a guy. And, and look, mm-hmm. we don't know uh, what it's going to look like for Connor Wigman. All we know is that Jimbo said that x-rays were, were negative. But he, here's what this is should be more about. Max Johnson's one of the best insurance policies any team can have. Mm-hmm. Any team. It is so rare to have someone with that kind of SEC resume just available in case your starter goes down, in case your former five-star quarterback recruit goes down. And you should feel good if you're an AM fan knowing that you have Max Johnson to turn to in this offense, in this offense, because mm-hmm. he looked comfortable. And I know he leaves some throws out there. We kind of know the limitations of Max Johnson at this stage of his career. But yep. seeing how poised he was, it's just not a given. It's not a given that you're going to have a guy that's ready to come in. And it just feels like more than anybody in the SEC, Max Johnson has come in and done that. I think he's done that yeah. in each of his four seasons. Like, Correct me if I'm wrong here. He said, yeah, he's like moment. interim. Uh, he's like interim coach. He's, yep. like, he's like, look, all right. Well, this time when the game plan hits the floor, you need somebody to just scrap Max Johnson's your guy. He he just always has, has a knack to be able to do that. So nice win for A&M, uh, mm-hmm. even though it was kind of weird given the circumstances of it. And it felt like a, a slow start offensively. On the Wait, let me say this real quick about Max, because I actually started to say something about him on the last podcast. I'm glad I didn't, because I was going to say, well, like, you know, he transferred, and how's that working out, basically, because he was stuck behind Wigman. Because at the end of the day, I mean, with the up-and-down quarterback play we've seen specifically yesterday and throughout the entire season in the SEC, he clearly is better than several, many SEC starting quarterbacks, talking about Max Johnson. So, yeah, I'm glad that he got a chance to um, to ball. And, and like you said, throwing a touchdown to your brother is like a memory you'll never forget. And that moment, I was like, wow, I got cold takes. I see how special that is. And, you know, hopefully, obviously, it's kind of a weird setup where Wigman's like a little bit younger than him. Um, but I do hope we get to keep seeing him somewhere because he's electric when he's good. He is. He really is. He could have played on the other sideline. There's no doubt about that. How many Auburn fans are like, wait a minute. Yeah. A&M's got two quarterbacks better than our best quarterback or our better than our best two quarterbacks because on the Auburn side, it was bad. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really bad. Or Tennessee could get him and just start him in the swamp. Uh, that, that. that would work. <laughs> a one time start. Yes. Hey, if one, a one game deal, what does that NIL mm-hmm. contract look like? 
pretty sizable for Tennessee, I would yep. imagine. Look, let's just Max Johnson tour the SEC. I'm all for that. The Auburn side, though, uh, this was this was a pretty significant setback. I, I thought after a three tough scene, start. as the kids call it, very tough scene. I thought for for game number one, a few freeze back in the SEC. Uh, so where should we start here? Where should we start? There's a lot of places you can go. How about the two yards of offense that Auburn had in the third quarter? Pivotal time. <laughs> third quarter. To start. Yeah. yeah. Probably the problem, I would guess. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there aren't a whole lot of teams who have had two yards of offense in the third quarter who have won an SEC West road game. I'm just, mm-hmm. I don't know the numbers, but it's low. It's very, very low. How about uh, Peyton Thorne having 3.7 yards per attempt and taking five yeah. sacks in this one? I think Auburn took like seven total or something, whatever it was. Um, not great. Or perhaps an even worse stat than all of that that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. How about Robbie Ashford, Holden Gurner, completing a combined three for 11 passes for 12 yards, Will? Yeah, man. Mm. Remember... This was against an AM secondary who looked basura in its lone game of Power 5 competition this year against Miami. And we're thinking, okay, mm-hmm. you, you might be able to make some plays. I don't know if you're going to be able to, I don't think you're going to be able to make enough plays, but you should be able to make some plays against this AM secondary. Man, they made the forward pass look like advanced calculus. <laughs> 1933 football. Oh, it was, it was rough. It was really rough. There were small windows to throw into. And when there were windows to throw into, usually Peyton Thorne would just miss him by like five mm-hmm. yards or something, or he would have his head down and he'd be a second away from getting sacked. How was he a second away from getting sacked that entire game? Even when he was on the sideline, I'm like, oh, Peyton Thorne's about to get sacked right now. Like, yeah. It was, Seeing ghosts like Sam Darnold, like he sees the cooler. He's like, ah. It was bad. It was, it was really, really bad. I think that's the third time that he's been benched in the last two seasons in a game. Because he was benched mm. multiple times uh, with Michigan State last year. And look. He's like anti-Max Johnson. Kind of, yeah. yeah that's that's pretty much what he's become. Uh, it's, I, I think if you're the Auburn if, – if you're an Auburn fan, you're looking at this passing game going, man, this is uh, probably about what we should have expected coming into this season, knowing the limitations that were talked about on the outside at receiver. And it's not that Auburn has – bad receivers they had receivers that were getting open like that play I think it was yep. Jay Fair who was like wide open on the left sideline and Thorne just wildly overthrows him and you're looking going okay we have some options like Shane Hooks playing well but there are still not enough guys who can get separation there's not a mm-hmm. whole lot of guys that you trust to be able to high point a football and in this offense if this offensive line can't pass protect and you don't have a guy that's good at good enough to escape that pressure it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough go. I, I thought Freeze waited one series too long to bring in Robbie Ashford. Probably should have done mm-hmm. it a little bit earlier, playing the results a little bit. Because it's like if you're not gonna be able to pass, you might as well just have Robbie Ashford's legs out there, right? Like yeah. every Auburn fan felt that watching this one. Like, you're not yeah, moving. That is literally that has literally been my model year with this team. And it's like, yeah, I know they got Peyton Thorne. I was just never really in on him. And it's just like, hey, it's like we have a no-threat quarterback and we have a singular-threat quarterback, which is his legs. And yeah, I honestly think that hopefully this is kind of enough shine for Hugh Fears to be like, all right, you know what? Like, these receivers, this isn't going to work anyway. Let's run some kind of a modified, like, spread option with Robbie to try to, like – because the thing about Robbie is we know that the Auburn Tigers can run the football, just period. So if you have a guy like that out there, it at least gets a defender off the running back because Peyton Thorne's passing was not doing that. I still think you got to go game by game for that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe that sounds indecisive. I, I believe Freeze has the right approach to the passing game. 
I do. I, I I think that's still right, despite the fact that this game was bad. It was really bad. I mean, three point one yards per play is what Auburn finished with on the day. That's not that's not going to cut it. That's just Tough. yards per play. Um, not that's including the the rushing, which was okay at points. But I, I yeah, I mean, their one touchdown was defensive. That's the best part. Is it's so much worse than even the scoreboard looks. Ah, oh, Eugene Asante, he's a monster. That guy is having Golly, an All American yeah. start to the year. Great play. Oh yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that play. Um. Jimbo Fisher standing five yards onto the field and somehow not getting trucked on that play was <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't even process it in real time. And I think I had someone tweet at me. I can't remember who it was. I apologize, but I had someone tweet at me like, cause I, I tweeted about Eugene Asante looking really, really good. He's like, why was Jimbo Fisher standing out of the field? I said, wait a minute. What? what? I have to rewind. I'm like, Oh my God. That, mm-hmm. that situation, of all the things that could have happened to Jimbo in that moment, watching the opposing player take it to the house is probably the best thing, right? <laughs> <'Cause> that, <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if that's a penalty, like if you just truck Jimbo Fisher, because he shouldn't be there. Like he's out of his zone. If you truck Jimbo Fisher, if you're if you're the player with the football, you're good. You're good. Obviously, yeah, it's, it's a penalty on him if you hit him. You're you're within your jurisdiction. No, you're mm-hmm. you're you're between the white lines, man. Like he could have he could have trucked him and that would have been it would have slowed him down a little bit, so probably wouldn't have been the best thing. Don't know if he's going to mm-hmm. the house. How quickly he runs through Jimbo Fisher would probably be a big determining factor. We did sports science on that. Oh. How quickly can you put Jimbo Fisher in the turf and still run it to the house? Everybody, I hope, watched that play and thought of the scene from Friday Night Lights, the show, wherein mm-hmm. The opposing coach who just loses his mind hits Tim Riggins in the open field, which I watched that again about three or four times afterwards to see if I could do a side-by-side. Pretty unrealistic, I'm going to say. Pretty unrealistic to think that an opposing coach, that guy who was probably my height, he was five foot eight, probably jacked up on all the pre-workout he could possibly fit into his body. But Mm -hmm. to think that that guy could take down Tim Riggins with a head of steam, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, like, Listen, if Muschamp hasn't done it, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. Uh, yeah, Mike Tomlin. Shout out to any coach who's ever made that move on while well, on the sideline to try and impact the game like that. But, yeah, I uh, I would have paid good money to have seen almost any other result, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and J- Jimbo did the thing that was most boring in that spot, and he explained it afterwards. He thought the play was already over. He was trying to get a signal in out of the field. So that's kind of the why as to why Jimbo had wandered out on the field. I hope the internet has Like a lost that. child, just like with his little clipboard looking around. <laughs> we've all been there. We've all we've all wandered into places that we've, we know <laughs> we shouldn't have been, and we think back to how cringe that was. Hey, mm-hmm. even when you've got a buyout of $76.8 million, sometimes you just go in places where you should be. Happened to mm-hmm. Jimbo. Got the win. If he had gotten the loss and he was on the field, hmm, internet would have had even more fun with that one. Oh, you know what else, too? Honestly, yeah. So there was a def- defensive touchdown for Auburn. And there was that weird touchdown called back that was like supposed to be a defensive touchdown for AM where Auburn like attempted a pitch that was clearly an attempt of a pitch. Like anyone who understands football knows that was a pitch. And yet they went down to the micron and were like, no, that was a forward pass. I mean, I don't know. I'm never this guy because I hate officials, but it's like that's one where in real time you just got to let that go. Because he was obviously attempting to pitch the football. His success there shouldn't determine that he gets the ball back. Messing up the play shouldn't be good. I don't know. 
Yeah, I get that. I, I definitely get that. I was surprised that they even reviewed it. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess the technicality of the rule, they're going to call that one back. That just because that, that just felt like a, a fumble through and through in, in every right. way. And that was A&M kind of had to bounce back after it looked like Edwin Cooper had, had you know, what was a, a scoop and score in that spot. And instead, you kind of have to to figure some things out. But and I'm able to to put together a performance that uh, could have been much worse. I just think could have been much worse if you had told mm-hmm. any AM fan, hey, Connor Wigman's going to be pretty ineffective to start off this game, and he's going to go down with an injury backed up in his own end zone after taking a hit. Um, I think AM fans would have been like, oh, God, we're, we're going to lose to Hugh Freeze, lost number two in the mm-hmm. season's coming, but that was never really in doubt for this team. Okay, South Carolina holds on. Holds on for dear life. Shane Beamer said afterwards that this this took years off of his life. Holds <laughs> on in a shootout against Mississippi State. If you had let Tulu Griffin and Xavier Leggett face off against these secondaries every week, mm-hmm. I think they'd have 3,000-yard seasons. I think they would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those guys, man, they had a field day. They ran all over the place. They were just that dominant going back and forth. Will Rogers, Spencer Radler were both really dialed in, really mm-hmm. dialed in. They combined for 775 passing yards. Good to see a bounce back for Will Rogers after what was easily the worst start of his career. I, I'm not saying that you're out of the woods for your Kevin Barbe love in the preseason, <laughs> but it looked. I, this yeah. is what I imagined, not necessarily just like a look. And like, I mean, obviously you don't have to go all the other. Uh, the, you don't have to go all the way in the opposite direction and completely kind of abandon the running game. But at the end of the day, if it's ineffective, which it was against LSU, you can just lean on Will Rogers. It looks like, yeah, they definitely did yesterday. There were a lot there. They kept talking about this on the broadcast. And it was a good point. He looked a lot more confident when you're throwing mm-hmm. the ball with that kind of velocity. Cole brought this up. You are showing that you are more comfortable in the system. And Will Rogers did not look comfortable in this system in that blowout loss to LSU and looked a lot more settled in. Probably the competition had a little bit to do with that. Just a little bit to do with yeah, that. Yeah, LSU's staunch defensive backs really really held him accountable. <laughs> yeah, I think running for his life against Harold Perkins in that front probably <laughs> impacted him a little bit different. Not exactly your guy that you're going to be having in those off-platform spots, but I was glad mm-hmm. for Will Rogers that he was able to at least kind of stretch the field a little bit. I've always said he doesn't have a noodle arm. He, he can make those throws. He can make enough of those throws. He's never really been asked to, obviously, in the Mike Leach air raid. He can make enough. He's not going to wow you in that way. But there's still a, a certain threshold that I think he meets as a starting quarterback in this conference where you're not going to be like, oh, he's not going to throw it more than 30 yards. He had a couple of those plays in this one. But Spencer Rattler, I'm glad that we were ahead of this. He mm-hmm. is – totally totally dialed in playing the best football of his career he is yep he's having fun <laughs> yes what are we doing the Bo next line with spencer Rattler? Bo Nicks, yeah he's so back i'm so happy to see Bo playing well anyway he has played well uh spencer Rattler completed his first 17 passes in this one <laughs> only Jeez. two incompletions on the night well maybe maybe mm-hmm. a dpi on that one uh that was uncalled that was his first incompletion of the night but for a guy that, you know, we talked about this with KJ, for a guy with major offensive line issues, and, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, his top target is out. You know, Juice Wells, TBD on when he's coming back. Spencer Rattler looks so comfortable. He looks yep. like a guy who has figured things out. Dow Loggins has done such a great job with him in this offense. The play calling is so much better 
than what it was with Marcus Satterfield. And we questioned mm -hmm. that after the way that things kicked off against UNC. And it looks like, at least against maybe lesser competition, they are figuring some things out in that area. Dow Loggins kind of had a nice moment in the postgame interview with Spencer Rather where he joins him. And, and you know, you could tell that relationship is there. That trust is there. That's what you needed to see, I think, to be like, okay, Spencer Radler is going to be somebody that is worthy of leading this team. And he is actually mm -hmm. going to be the strength of this team. Because I thought for a lot of last season, no, you wouldn't say that Spencer Radler was a strength of South Carolina's team. And he has absolutely become that. And all of the things I had heard from that program in the offseason, all the confidence that they had internally in him so far, in my opinion, it looks justified. You see the improvement that mm -hmm. he has with the with the footwork. So many of those bad habits where he's drifting or you know he's thinking that his arm is going to do all the work. He's looking down. A lot of those bad habits look like they are a thing of the past, in my opinion. I've just been really, really impressed by him and Xavier Leggett too. That's a guy that, man, yeah. we've we've talked about that last year about how up until that A and M kick return he was nothing. Nothing in mm -hmm. that offense. Didn't have a role, really. And to see him become one of the best receivers in the SEC, at least through four weeks, what a revelation that has been. 37.8 yards per catch in this game. Whew. Whew. That is uh, a bad, bad man right there. Did you see that play that he – it was a little, little crosser over the middle that he just splits the defense and he runs away from them. And you're looking at – Look, if you look at the replay of this, look at the strides that guy is taking. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is a freaking gazelle out there, the things that he is doing. He he looks like somebody that has flipped a switch. And, you know, why is he able to make a play like that? It's because Spencer Rattler is on target, and he's reading mm -hmm. the linebacker, and he's waiting for him to get to that right spot where he knows that just when he's about to break that route upfield, he needs to hit him right in the numbers. And boom, that's exactly what he does in that spot. We knew that it was going to be a really nice matchup for Xavier Leggett after what Malik Neighbors did to that Mississippi State secondary last week. Um, mm -hmm. That was that was confirmed. A bit alarming, Mississippi State, despite the the good vibes that you had on offense in this one. Maybe not as good with Woody Marks kind of getting banged up. He came back in, but good vibes to see Will Rogers doing what he was doing. Not so mm -hmm. good. Their last three games been their only three games against Power Five quarterbacks, right? Mm -hmm. They have allowed teams to complete 80% of their passes, Will. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, dang, is Spencer Rattler, how close did he get to what Jaden did? Because, yeah, he's 18 for 20. Jaden set the, the LSU record with 30, 34 completion mm -hmm. percentage. And then Spencer Rattler starts off with 17 incompletions. Something ain't working. Something ain't yeah. working. We respect the 335. We do. But that's that's bad news bears. And Notre Dame uh, trying out that 235. 10 guys on the field. I was thinking about that earlier. Marcus Freeman's in a night. He's still kind of in the honeymoon phase where he can get away with saying something like that for having 10 guys on the field for the last play of the game. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about some of the guys who would have a really, really tough time stomaching that probably 80% of the coaches in the sec. That would be an inexcusable yep. thing that we would talk about for a very long time. Very long time. Yep. Marcus Freeman gets, and I'm sure Notre Dame fans are really upset, but nationally, He's probably not going to get blasted in the way that so many others would. Where, like, if Jimbo mm -hmm. did something like that or if Brian <laughs> Kelly did that, it would be open season. Yeah. If Brian Kelly did something oh. like that, forget about it. Forget mm -hmm. about it. If Brian Kelly did something like that in Notre Dame, people would be yeah. freaking out on him saying, oh my God, this guy's never going to win a big game. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. J 
Jalen Milrow against this Mississippi State secondary. Nice matchup. Nice mm-hmm. matchup for the Bama passing game to be able to kind of get them going and potentially build on what they did um, for a group of receivers that I think are still figuring things out that is on the Bama side. Um, as for South Carolina, g- good to get on the board in SEC play. See your quarterback play at a really high level. This is what you could have hoped for. Also good. Mario Anderson might be what they need at running back. You're not going to be impressed looking at the box score. Carried the ball mm-hmm. 26 times for 88 yards. It was kind of a 1995 performance from the South Carolina backfield and kind of who he is, a Division II transfer. But had a nice play in this one where the offensive line just kind of rallied behind him and pushed the pile forward into the end zone. They need anything at this point because yeah. they had the worst rushing attack in Power 5 coming into this one. It's still probably going to be Basura moving forward. But you need Poor a guy. Spencer Rattler, man. I mean, yeah, we saw such a great response from KJ, Spencer, and Will Rogers Saturday, which I think we all love to see. But yeah, I think that the, the KJ comparison is fine because it's like, man, you got like no run game because Rocket was out for KJ. You're like, yeah, luckily he has Leggett. But man, yeah, it's been tough sledding for like anything but him so far. Yeah, man. That's, if they had, if they could just have a guy, if Mario Anderson can just be a guy that they can give the ball to fifteen to twenty times mm-hmm. in the game, just give Rattler a break so he's not throwing forty times. Because I still think Rattler's probably going to have one or two of those moments over the course of the game where he's going to throw an interceptable pass, and that oh, part yeah. of his game is probably always going to be there because of the circumstances, knowing what he's up against, knowing that they're still having struggles on the defensive side of the ball. That's going to come. But all in all, for South Carolina, you're happy to get on the board in the SEC play. Up next for South Carolina, that offense, uh, the place where it all took off last year, or I should say the defense where it all took off last year, rematch against Tennessee. Can't wait for that one. (laughs) Cannot wait. That's not going to get talked about nationally, but I'm really looking forward to the South Carolina-Tennessee rematch. Mm -hmm. Okay. A game that um, I'm sure outside of these fan bases, I don't know, 15 people watched, maybe something like that. Kentucky, Vandy, let's rip through this. Is it possible to think that an offense was super underwhelming while scoring 45 points? <laughs> We're about to find out. Uh, two pick sixes, by the way, from Maxwell Harrison. Glad that we shouted him out in the preview pod. Mm-hmm. Breakout star in that Mark Stoops defense. They were one step ahead all day. They really were. That's the good news if you're a Kentucky fan is we're seeing the household names emerge. Like Deion Walker, is, he is just a monster up front and the things that he's doing. And you've got a true lockdown corner in Harrison. Perfect example of a guy who were like, hey, who are the household names going to be on Kentucky? Yeah, they'll probably figure it out. Yep, he's the guy who's figuring it out and becoming a star for them. But I, I just did not like that game from the Kentucky offense. I, I did not. The, the offensive line is is improved, not by that much, at least mm-hmm. not yet. I still think Devin Leary is getting hit too much. I don't think they're creating big enough running lanes. Leary had a really, really bad pick deep in his own territory in a 24-10 to 10 game where you're like, man, you need to put it together a scoring drive and put this game away. And instead, mm-hmm. after they get off to that great start, go up 21 nothing. he throws that pick and – Kentucky's offense was fortunate that it only turned into a Vandy field goal and it it ended up being like not that big of a play, but still even probably the biggest highlight of the day for Kentucky, a really pretty ball from Devin Leary to Dane key and Mm -hmm. Dane key makes this awesome catch high pointing the football in the end zone. And then he does one of the more disrespectful things that you can do after scoring a touchdown taps the DB right on the head. So it's like, they're there. Small, small. small. <laughs> they're there. Instant flag. 
Needless to say, needless to say, Mark Stoops did not applaud that move. Um, Mm -hmm. wasn't a fan of that. It's like, which just speaks to some of the things that you you hear about Dane Key and Barry and Brown are that look, tremendously talented players, the maturity, the day in day out stuff. Mm -hmm. They're still figuring that out. And I think the reliance on those two guys, sometimes you see why the peaks and valleys are there for this Kentucky offense. And I think right now, despite the fact that they're four, no with a comfortable road victory, you avenged last year's loss. That's, that's the good, Mm -hmm. but I think Kentucky fans are frustrated because they know what's ready for them on the latter half of that schedule. It is really, really difficult. That daunting, five game stretch to end the season. I, I just don't think this offense has an identity yet. It is th- this, this entire team is just constantly waiting for a chunk play that doesn't always happen or a huge defensive turnover to flip the momentum that that's kind mm-hmm. of what Kentucky has been through the first four weeks of the season. Um, but yeah, like, I, and I realize if you just looked at the box score of this one, you might say, Hey, what you, easy. Like, what are you talking about? But I think anybody that's watched this team closely in these noon slots you probably haven't been that impressed and you can understand mm-hmm. why Mark Stoops is is frustrated. If I picked Kentucky to finish second East, I would not feel great about that right now. I just wouldn't. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. So maybe like Mark Stoops has like a little bit of that Bane element or like everybody else just adopted the dark. He was born in it. Like how bad is this offense on scale of Kentucky offenses? Because we've seen two pretty bad Kentucky offenses win 10 games. The difference is that those offenses were not as turnover prone. And look, no, the, mm. the offense that they had two years ago in year one. With Levis, that, that was actually a good offense, but I was thinking about the other one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had their best offense since 2007 that year. So I would, mm-hmm. by, by the Kentucky standard, whatever the standard is, it was a really good offense. But the 2018 offense is different because you had an identity with Benny Snell, with our favorite mm-hmm. neighbor, Terry Wilson, with Lynn Bowden on the outside as well. You had an identity. You knew the type of games that you wanted to play in. And you also didn't have an offense that turned the football over that much. I think mm-hmm. Kentucky's turning the football over too much. And I think they're getting too far behind the sticks where they're taking deep sacks or something like that. And it doesn't really allow them to play the way that they always want to play. So mm-hmm. that's a weird way to answer that question because obviously there's more firepower overall in this offense. It's a better passing game. I won't dispute that. But I think there are just moments that if you look at with, over the course of the game, they they have more of, even though they, they might not have the same limitations that the 2018 group did, being a pretty one-dimensional offense, they still do things to put you in a deeper hole and put you in a tougher spot. And I think yep. that goes against what Mark Stoops has typically coached with in his career at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But who knows? This is kind of like the second place spot in the East. Nobody has solidified that. <laughs> Mizzou, maybe? L- looking like number two team in the East at this point? I don't know. We're going to find out in, mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks what that looks like. Obviously, they only have Vandy next week, so I don't think that we're going to get a true answer to that question. Mizzou starting off 5-0 and potentially seems very much on the table. And Kentucky, meanwhile, hosts Florida. Very interesting game. Very interesting game in the East hierarchy. Yeah, man. What that looks that's, like. Yeah, that's going to be – and that, that's kind of how this game – remember last year Kentucky was the game – after Florida was ranked like 15th when they beat Utah, and that was the dang key play. So yeah, this has been a super interesting rivalry after Mullen kind of let them have that belief 
because there were there were years where it was like same as uh, Tennessee with Florida, where it's like it doesn't matter what you guys do, you're not going to beat them. But it's been pretty back and forth lately. So yeah, it should be a good one. Yeah, uh, Kentucky has won ever since they overcame. What was it? They lost like 31 in a row or 32 in a row, <laughs> something like that. And then they break that mm-hmm. streak. 2018, they've won three out of the last five. I mean, that's 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 about as good as you could have hoped for if you are a Kentucky fan. Okay, mm-hmm. should we? Let's end with some yar now, nah, Will. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yar yeah nah. Florida State should be number one in the AP poll ahead of Georgia. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I think they probably, you know, un- having Clemson unranked is a little bit goofy to me. I mean, just given how they clearly hung with the team that was number four and we're talking about has a couple of the best wins. Um, but I get it. I mean, moving all kind of trying to wait to dump on Dabo this whole time. But yeah, I think that FSU has played too close with everyone but LSU for me to be like the number one. I'm okay with it. I still, if I'm filling out an AP ballot, I don't have an AP ballot. I would still mm-hmm. put Georgia at number one. But I'm, at this point of the season, once you hit week four, week five, or something like that, now is when you can actually kind of start to dig into resumes and say, oh, well, the quality mm-hmm. of this win versus the quality of this win. It's so, it's nearly impossible to do that. Even at this stage of the season, you can get into arguments and you can kind of step on your own toes doing this. If you watched SEC final, the Ben Watts and Chris Doring back and forth that those two guys had as it related mm-hmm. to resumes and stuff like that. And like, all right, then, well, Mizzou's undefeated. Why don't you, Mizzou's got a better resume than Georgia. Why don't you put Mizzou ahead of Georgia at right. this point? Um, so it is still very, very subjective in that, in that department. But I like the fact that Florida State has these two wins away from home one of which mm-hmm. neutral site, one of which obviously in a place that still Clemson had only lost once there since 2016, last year to, yep. to South Carolina, of course. And that's still <laughs> a really nice win, all things considered, even though they are unranked and we're dogging Clemson. Um, I would be okay with it. I would be okay with it. I don't think you have to. Um, what about Ohio State in that one spot? Is that beating – is beating Notre Dame in South that, Bend? Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I saw two teams that were a little bit, I mean, everyone's flawed this year, so there's not really been a complete team other than our Washington Huskies with former IU great uh, Michael Penix Jr. Um, but point being, like, there really hasn't been a complete team, but yeah, nothing. I mean, McCord made big plays when he needed to, but I really, I think he's like, we talked about the worst Ohio State quarterback in a minute. So yeah, I, I don't really think that was a proving ground for anything. Yeah, what does it say that with the game on the line, they took the ball out of McCord's hand? in that right. spot and ran running play. Well, they ran into a guy who wasn't there. So now that you know that, I mean, <laughs> pretty, pretty easy move. Good point. Ohio State's defense is nasty, though. They are they are mm-hmm. vastly, vastly improved. That Jim Knowles hire that Ryan Day made, Lincoln Riley yeah. could learn a thing or two about hiring the right defensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah. yeah but- they're not soft. They're physical. Anyone, any octogenarians out there, if you're listening to me, we're a physical team. Apologize to everyone's eardrums for just hearing Will imitating Ryan Day. Mocking He's creeping all the time. Ryan Day, like, I don't know, man. Of all, of all the people to call out, I just, I just don't. I, look, you're going to get called out by Lou Holtz. I think, I think sometimes you just let it slide. I, mm-hmm. I have a certain age limit, okay? Certain age limit where if somebody over the age of 70 is calling out something that I'm doing, that's probably not the number one thing on my mind is I pick up a big resume boosting win. Just, I don't know. That's me. I guess I'm unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you could you could throw a lot of teams in that conversation, and I don't necessarily hate it. If you want to put Ohio State there, if you are of the belief that Texas deserves that, although I I don't know, um, probably not putting Texas at number one. But mm-hmm. Washington, yeah, every single time Washington comes on screen, <laughs> and like shows it. 
it's it's awesome. It's it's absolutely awesome. They are such a fun fun team to watch. I watched a lot more of the the opener that they had against Boise State, and mm-hmm. man, how badly could Bama have used Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator yeah. for that team? The way that he mm-hmm. schemes guys open in space, man, it is so like Bama's passing game is at a much much different place if they are able to hire that guy instead of Tommy Reese. I am a firm, firm believer of that. It's not just that they're doing this against Pac-12. But yeah, every time Michael Penix comes on screen, I'll say to Lauren, out of what school? And she'll just go, <laughs> out of Indiana. <laughs> he just like us for real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, other yard now. After Oregon just totally pummeled Colorado to hand Dion the first loss, which a lot of people had a lot of thoughts about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah or not, Bo Nix should be your Heisman Trophy favorite at this point in the season. Favorite? I mean, we were just talking about Michael Penix. I would put him over Bo Nix, but I, I'm proud that Bo Nix has advanced in this way. He's gotten out of the Gus Malzahn pyramid scheme, and it's good to see him flourishing. How about this? Maybe this is a better question. I'll give you an option to take the Pac-12 or the field for the Heisman Trophy. Oh, that's easy work, Pac-12, because I got Caleb Williams, too. Got Caleb Williams, got Michael Penix. Yeah. I I think at this point you would probably take the Pac-12. At yeah. I saw a graphic mm-hmm. that had JJ McCarthy in that conversation. Like, what are we doing here? What are, right, what, what are what are we doing? That's that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, the Pac-12 getting a team in the college football playoff and having a Heisman Trophy winner which look 2014 that drops not that long, okay? Like we're talking mm-hmm. about the Big 10 here. Um <laughs> a little, little bit different in, in that regard, but yeah, I, Bo Nix very much a part of that conversation. I still think Panix does more impressive things, though. Yeah. I don't know. that Just watching them, Bo Nix is making a lot more of the underneath type throws, and Oregon's doing some great things in space, and he's still such a weapon with his legs, not ta- taking away what he's become as a player is really fun to watch. But Panix and Caleb Williams, man, like to me, it's those yeah. two are, are at the top. That's tier one for, for Heisman. Prize winners, but obviously when you beat Colorado, it changes things, changes the conversation about you. How about Dan Lanning, man? Yeah, I mean, I, so I was about to say too. I think that we're at a point with. The, I'm ready to say with the Pac-12, we should start viewing them like we viewed the SEC in previous years, where a loss or maybe even two shouldn't keep a Pac-12 team, like a single Pac-12 team, out of this playoff. Because if you look up and down the Pac-12, you know we're not even talking about Utah. We're not even talking about UCLA, who, I mean, obviously didn't play great yesterday, but still, with if Chip Kelly is their head coach, like you can look up and down the Pac-12 and, and see all these teams. So I think they'll probably beat each other up. But, yeah, I think at least one, if not two teams, deserve it from there this year. I didn't even include Shadur Sanders in that conversation as well. Yeah, he sure is in the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pac-12 definitely has a very, very favorable path to the playoff and possibly a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, I think that about covers it. Week four was great. Week four was going mm-hmm. so, so fun. Week five, only SEC games. None of this non-conference mess. Mm-hmm. Non-conference play is great. It serves its purpose. Seven SEC football games, SEC versus SEC. That's mm-hmm. it next week. Really, really looking forward to it. A lot of intriguing games. Uh, we will have a, a ton of breakdown in the midweek pod. If you have not... Just, hey, you want to do a good deed today? You're listening to this on Sunday or Monday or something like this? Do, do us a favor. Tell a friend. 
tell a friend, hey, do you listen to the Saturday Down South podcast? You like college football. You should listen mm-hmm. to the Saturday Down South podcast. Subscribe to it. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every single episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Sat Down South, at CGO Guerra, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.